You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. I am your host, Derek Bodner. I'm joined once again by Mike O'Connor who writes about the 76ers for the Sixers Sense and also covers the NBA as a whole for bballbreakdown.com. Uh, we had Mike on leading up to the draft, and he was awesome, so we want to make sure we, we brought Mike back. Uh, I appreciate your time then, appreciate your time now, and how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Feeling good now that uh kind of can breathe a little bit now that there's not uh, nine free agency signings and eight trades a day, so <laughs> kind of soak it all in. Yeah, now there's a real dead period. We have really, until the... Um, until the uh, until FIBA later in the uh, later in I think early or end of August early September is when that tournament in and the Sixers because I think they have seven or eight guys who are of overseas origins I think uh, you know we'll have a lot of players playing there but there's really nothing going on for the next month and a half it's kind of a not kind of a dead period it is a dead period yeah, uh, the Sixers have so. 15 guys under contract now you don't expect any real moves. In fact, you kind of expect the move that is next is the one of one for a guy they already have on roster, and that's Covington in, mm. in mid-November. So we'll see what happens. Um, free agency looks like outside of maybe a Carmelo trade here and there, uh, or at least a Carmelo rumor here and there. We'll see if a trade actually happens. Looks like free agency is winding down as well, and certainly for the Sixers. But we do have Summer League, both Utah and Vegas now in the rearview mirror. We have Markel Fultz going from a... You know, averaging 20 points a game in Utah to a high ankle sprain to now downgraded to just a normal lateral ankle sprain, which is which is really good because that was a, a real moment of panic there for a lot of people, uh, myself included. But I guess overall, just looking back on it, overall thoughts on summer league, whether that's Sixers or league wide, who looked good, who who kind of stood out for you, and your thoughts on the competition as a whole. Yeah, so so Sixers wise, I would say. Um, the, the couple of big takeaways for me, I was really, really impressed with Jonah Bolden. And as we talked about in the last podcast, I've always been high on his game. But kind of the one concern I had when watching him overseas was like, am I am I overestimating his athleticism because he's playing against slightly less athletic competition? And I thought he looked really, really good athletically, fit right in. Um, he shot the ball really well. He's a little bit more of a, a gunslinger than I than I had uh, than I had seen, but. Hopefully they can get that under control. I really, really like him as a prospect. Um, I did like also Alex Poitras a little bit. I don't know if he'll carve out a roster spot, but he kind of surprised me with uh, you know his ability to shoot. A um, couple of slight disappointments, I would say. TLC was not he, – he just didn't look physically like he has gained a lot since last season. And we really looked for him to put on some weight and bulk up, and that's honestly the biggest thing that's holding him back as a player. And he just didn't didn't really stand out, you know, physically or just in skill wise. Um, so I was a little bit, you know, not you can't be too hot takey about this stuff, but I was just a little bit concerned by by how he played there. Um, and then Korkmaz, um, the big thing I would say about him is that his shot is NBA ready, but the rest of his game isn't quite there yet. Like he he just can't really give you much inside the three point line and outside of the paint. Um, he's going to be able to stretch the floor, and he's very athletic. He can, he can, you know, he can throw down dunks with the best of them. But 
I, I just think that he's got a, a little bit of ways to go in terms of just refining his skill set. He definitely needs to add weight because he's going to get chewed up off the dribble by NBA defenders. He's 6'7", 180. You know, I, I weigh more than Furkan Korkmaz, <laughs> you know. So he's got to definitely add a little bit of weight. Um, other than that, I didn't really see too many surprises. I um, think that they are who we thought they were in that sense. Yeah, um, I, I, I mostly agree with that. Like you, I, Korkmaz, Okay, let's go back to the bigger disappointment. Let's start off with, with TLC. You know, if you just look at his sheer, he shot 44% from three at Vegas. And on the one hand, that's great. That's a real swing skill of his. On the other hand, he shot 35% on two-point shots around the basket. That is really representative of, well, I mean, it's part shot selection. And he seemed like he really wanted to try to drive and get in the paint. Um, it really seemed like they were dribble handoff happy with him at times. It was a little frustrating to watch, to be honest. But strength, too. Like, he just he doesn't have the strength to finish through NBA defenders right now. Um, it's certainly not exactly a new revelation, but I think we all hope that maybe there would be a little progress there because that is going to be, like you said, building strength and being able to compete physically is going to be very important for him. And at times he just looked a little bit out of control. So it was, uh, you know, on the one hand, great. Like, he shot 44%, like I said, on, on four three-point attempts per game. That's, that's, that's terrific. I'm not sure I necessarily trust that that's going to carry over like that could very much be small sample size noise but he he absolutely has to get better finishing around the basket and I thought his defense was a little bit underwhelming as well and yeah. you know part of that was uh, at times he was being asked to guard bigger guys um Tatum and Brown just had a field day on him whenever mm. they played each other but I think I have confidence in his defense I mean we saw him move his feet uh, on the perimeter in the NBA in, in NBA game so I don't have too much concern about that but overall it was it was certainly a disappointing uh disappointing sophomore performance at a year when most guys kind of take a big step in this competition. Definitely. And and like like you said about just in terms of finishing around the basket, one of the reasons I like really went to bat for him last year during the season about you know just in terms of finishing was he was really really good at actually kind of getting into creases and getting his body into big men and kind of finishing around them, but I really didn't see that much in summer league. Maybe that's just like, you know, small sample size. He didn't just quite get find himself in that position, but I, I didn't see that, and I was a little bit concerned. That's that's just the one the one thing that kind of equalizes him uh, was his ability to get into creases in the defense and kind of carve out some space. And I didn't see that too much. Yeah, and I mean, look, even even for these guys, you know, a guy like like Jalen Brown, he was playing you know into May, so he's a little more fresh. Right. A guy like TLC, you're talking about an extra month off. Like he hasn't been playing organized basketball in what about three months now. So, you, you, like you said, you don't want to read too much into it, but it's certainly, I mean, this was a time where you hoped to see progression, and you just didn't really see that from him. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's Summer League. I really don't care too much, but we also have to have podcasts in mid-July, <laughs> too, so this is what we talk about. <laughs> Going on to Korkmaz, kind of the mirror image of TLC, he shot okay. I want to say he shot in, like, the, the low to mid-30s from three in, in Vegas on a ton of attempts per game. Like, he was yep. jacking them up. Oh, yeah. But he shot really well from in, from inside the three-point line. I think he shot nearly 70% from two-pointers. He has a little creativity there. Like, clearly, he doesn't have the strength to go into guys, but he's able to, you know, he has a floater game. He has a jump-stop game that I think he used pretty well. Um, he has just enough of a handle. You know, I think one thing, he's really athletic, but right now he needs one or two dribbles to really kind of get up to speed. He doesn't have a, a great first step that I would say right now. But he showed that he's able to at least attack a closeout a little bit. Um, he's able to come off of a screen and maybe use that edge to, to get in the paint. It's probably not going to materialize in a production at the NBA level until he's able to get, you know, 
way more than a buck eighty five. But I think there's some baseline skill there where he could be not that you're ever going to put the ball in his hands, ask him to create off a of pick and roll twenty times a game. But I think he's he's the type of guy who, like I said, at least could attack a closeout. Could could give you another option coming off of a screen. Can certainly get you something in transition. I thought he showed just enough that you could see in the future the kind of player who could be more than just a catch and shoot player. Definitely, yeah. And 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 the other thing was I saw he definitely made a couple of nice passes, attacking closeouts, draw a help defender, and make a nice dump off pass. Um, and I think that that's you know just he's not going to ever be asked to do too much in that regard, but. I do like the idea of him, you know, curling around dribble handoffs at at the elbow or something like that. I do think that, you know, with his shot and just his kind of like, he just has a kind of a good nose for um, like reading the, the reactions of defense. And I think that that's going to take him places for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that, that shot is, I mean, it's quick, it's compact, it's repeatable. I do think he's going to make NBA threes at a good rate. Definitely. Which is, is great because the Sixers are going to need that for a long time. All right, moving on back to Bolden. You know, I think you kind of mentioned a little bit of a gunner. Yeah. And you look at the stats, and you're watching him, and you're thinking, man, this guy's got a ton of skills. Like, he can face up, he can shoot from three, he can go off the dribble, he can cut, he can do all this stuff. And then you look at him, and he shot in Vegas 42% from two-point range, 30% from three. Really, you look at his pure shot distribution, and he shot nearly 33% of shots from from spot-ups. 17% 17% from Rollmans, 14 offensive rebounds, 13% transition, 8% cuts. Like, he's getting all of these theoretically high-percentage shot types. But I think that when you watch him, it's a very different uh, It's very different from what the stats would suggest. And I think a lot of that is decision-making. And we talk about the swing skill a lot. And you mentioned his athleticism. And I think he clearly showed that he can, you know, he can cover ground defensively in the NBA. It's not just playing overseas, playing in the Serbian League, and, and, and maybe showcasing against inferior athletes. I think he can compete physically, or at least athletically. But he really is, his swing skill for me is decision-making, uh, is shot selection, and consistency. And I think he showcased skilled skills in the summer, and I think he showcased that he still has some work to do in those areas. No, you're absolutely right. And and there's like, I, I forget who's, who like originated this thing. I don't want to say it was Zach Lowe who said that in the NBA, there are creators and there are destroyers. And you want you want Jonah Bolden to be a destroyer. Like, put him in a pick-and-roll and have him pop out to the three-point line. You want him, you know, anything, you know, in that category. You don't want him like he was in Vegas, you know, going off on his own wit and just pulling up from mid-range. Or, you know, you don't want to put him in a ton of spot-up situations. But he's really, really good in, or intriguing just in his ability to maybe shoot in a pick-and-pop or even just, you know, on a lob, on a, on a roll to the basket or just even stretching the floor and just, you know, let, letting the, the middle of the floor kind of those events happen without a help defender being able to help off of him. So that's where I like him the most is just as like a destroyer, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good way to put it because I do think an occasional stretch, an occasional pick and roll, diving to the basket, like he, he does have that kind of athleticism. Now you just got to rein him in a little. Like I said, if you, if you just put, you looked at his pure shot distribution and didn't watch the games, you would look at it and you say, oh, okay, he should have been playing under control. He should have been efficient. And it's just very much not the way he played it. It was a, a clear, a stark contrast between the distribution and his actual decision-making. I do I do like his skill set. I think it was a worthwhile gamble. Uh, you did mention him in the podcast leading up to the draft. Uh, the, the progress he made last year after he left UCLA was was really encouraging. And he just has to continue to make that progress. And, I, you know, I, I think he will. I think... 
well, I'm not going to say I think he will. Very few second-round picks actually do, but I think he has a chance. Definitely. I, I was a little bit surprised. I know a lot of it comes down to money, but I was a little surprised to hear that he's staying overseas for a year. Or at least that's what Brett Brown said. I don't think that's confirmed, but he seemed – I just can't really see, like, a huge motivation to put him overseas again for one more year. But, I, like I said, it could come down to money. Yeah, it could come down, down to money. It could come down to they may be encouraging him to – you know, to, to to spend another year over there, they might look at their roster spots and just not think they have all that much time available. Um, and maybe it's best for his development. You know, he is a type, in theory, you know, a lot of people, I think, get this mixed up. First round picks, a lot of people want Cork Maz and TLC to be used on those new, new two-way contracts. And they can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. The first round pick has its own contract, a rookie scale contract. And the two-way contracts, they are contract types. Like, you have to, they have yeah. to agree to them. And theoretically, a guy like Bolden might be one that you'd want to use, but you can't because there's no way he's going to be able to get his buyout with that that small. He, he's not coming over here for that kind of a contract. Um, so it's, you know, I think a lot of it is, I don't know the exact details of his buyout situation, but you wonder whether or not that's, that's preventing him. And you wonder how much real motivation the Sixers have. They might just look at him and say, look, you can get a lot of playing time overseas without using up one of our roster spots. Go do that for a year and come back next summer. But I think he will be a guy next summer that, that we will we will hear a lot from. I guess one of the other guys that – the only other guy they drafted and kept in the second round who is a draft and stash candidate, uh, Matthias Lasort. Did you have any strong impressions impressions of him in really a lot of Sixers fans' first real look at him? I mean, he didn't play that many minutes. He played 11 minutes per game in three games. But, yeah, go ahead. And, any, any real thoughts on his play? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that – I definitely like his motor for sure, um, and he's physically going to be able to compete in the NBA. I just didn't see much outside of like the occasional, you know, offensive rebound or, or just even like an energy play on defense that he's going to give you. I think this is a guy that you're not, you know, it's not like a massive upside pick that you just kind of hope he pans out in, in the future. I think you kind of know what you're getting with him, um, and it's a slightly limited skill set. I would be a little bit surprised to just see him come back from, from being overseas next year with like a, a nice jump shot or ability to create. But I, like I said, I think that you just kind of know what you're getting with him. And if he turns out to be a nice energy guy going forward, then that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, those guys have value. Um, Absolutely. They're never going to be a high upside pick, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of his, his future role. I do agree with you. I like what Poitras showed. I like what we showed at the end of last year too. You know, he's the type of guy who might fit in well with a two-way contract. Uh, where if you keep him down in the D-League, and if there's an injury or something happens where you need some minutes, he might be able to then jump up, give you those minutes, play a game or two, and then head back down to the D-League, and you can kind of keep him fresh and keep him learning in your system. But, you know, if he continues to make progress on a three-point shot, which he showed at times last year, which he showed last year in the D-League, and which he showcased a little bit in the Summer League, he becomes a much easier play on this roster. Definitely. Definitely. Um, All right. Anyone else you want to really point out uh, that we didn't necessarily cover there in that, that brief intro? It's hard to really talk about uh, faults because he only played once, one half of uh, of one game in Vegas. But Yeah, uh, I mean, just, you know, faults, just in terms of what we saw, uh, you know, it just overall, I think that a lot of people have been a little bit like, it, it's almost like the same reason that I would say that, like, People haven't been talking about Jonathan Isaac because we haven't seen him since he was in Orlando. It's like as soon as this went down, everybody just stopped thinking of him or like almost, you know, was obsessed with Onzo Ball's performance or anything like that. But 
I personally was really impressed with Fultz. I thought he just showed exactly what you thought he was going to show in terms of creating ability, um, just really, really, like, advanced um, creation and, like, maneuvering in the pick and roll. I really, really was happy with how he played, but it didn't. that didn't seem to be the consensus. It seemed like that second game in Utah, especially that second half of that second game in Utah, he won a lot of people over, or at least silenced some of his early critics. Uh, but like you said, that, that game feels like a half a season ago at this point. It's it's just amazing how good he is and how efficient he is at getting to his spots. I mean, he played like he did at Washington, just against stronger competition and in a league that people actually watched, which is kind of crazy to think that there are more people watching summer league basketball than there were Pac-12 basketball. But on that Washington team, I think it's absolutely true. <laughs> All right, I want to get deeper into Marco Foles' fit with the Sixers, including talking about that that incredible video that you released last week. But real quick before we do, a word from Harry's. Jeff and Andy founded Harry's because they're fed up with buying overpriced razors, the same reason I've been a loyal customer for the past six months. Harry's sells you razors directly over the Internet, cutting down on marketing costs that drive up the price of competing razors, costs which are then passed down to you, the customer. This allows Harry's to give you superb quality at half the cost of competing brands. The quality has been so good that after switching to Harry's earlier this year, I threw away my old handle and blades and haven't even considered looking back. You should try Harry's too. Claim your free trial offer from Harry's today, a $13 value for free when you sign up. You just cover shipping costs. Your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. To get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash sixersbeat. All right, let's get back to talking about Markel Fultz. As you did a, a really interesting video, a really good video. Thank you. On how Fultz and Simmons and Embiid can fit together. And it's something that we kind of talked about on the podcast. But if you go to M O'Connor underscore NBA on Twitter, hit pause, go watch it now. It's Mike's pinned tweet. But I guess doing that video, do you have any more insights, any more thoughts on how these three pieces might be able to work off of each other? Yeah, I think that um, in the video, like one thing I didn't show as much was uh, Simmons being the primary initiator. Um, and I think that just the idea of him, of Ben Simmons and Joe Embiid in the pick and roll, it's just that that is like, you know, we've been thinking about thinking about that for over a year now. And it's going to be really, really exciting to see that. Um I just think that, you know, I love the idea of Fultz playing a little bit off the ball, um, but being able to handle it in certain certain situations. Um, so, yeah, I guess one thing that just to add on to that video that I didn't really emphasize much was that Simmons is going to have a, a huge role as the primary initiator here, and we almost kind of have forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how, how Brett Brown dials up plays, because I do think you're going to want to have, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, which one's going to be the primary initiator? And it's never it's never that simple. Right. Uh, and I think you're going to put each of them in a spot where they they can use their skills to set up their teammates. It's going to be interesting to see how Brett diagrams his plays and how that kind of responsibility is, you know, is dispensed out. You know, I think Markel is going to initiate quite a bit as well. Like even thinking about a Markel Embiid pick and roll. Yeah. And having yeah. to take away one of those two skill sets is going to be fun to watch too. It's great to have, you know, diversity of options. A lot of, you know, if you go back to early 2000s basketball, I think a lot of strategy was, okay, let's give it to our best player. Let's try to get him in a, uh, you know, in a, in a matchup that he can exploit and let him go one-on-one. And clearly that's shifted a lot in the last 10 to 15 years 
but you have so many pick and roll options that you can still pick on defenders and also get people in the space. Brett Brown's going to have so much, so many more options to deal with, you know, this year than he has at any point. It's going to be fun to watch him kind of grow as, as a coach too. Definitely, and I think that you know, not to get like to dive too deep into X's and O's, but there's, I think Brett Brown is going to kind of flip the offense on its head. We're going to see a brand new offense. Like last year, there was such an emphasis on playing through the bigs because those were the only guys who could create really. There was so much action at the elbows, with, you know, elbow series and stuff like that. Now you can actually play through your guards and your and you know Fultz and and Embiid running pick and rolls and stuff like that. Not that they didn't run a lot of pick and rolls, but that's just where most of the offense is going to be coming from, as opposed to even the last two or three years having to play through your bigs um, inside the you know inside the the lane and the three point line. But um, yeah, so I think we're going to see a, a very new offense from Brett Brown this year, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, the thought of the thought of Embiid as a destroyer, like you said earlier, is a that's fun to think about. Definitely. Think about. Um, any other league wide takes we have? Like clearly, we discussed in in the the, the second podcast you and or well, the first podcast <laughs> that was released at the end of the podcast that you and I did, we were discussing yeah. options for the number three pick. Any of those guys really stand out as not that you would look at and say, oh, you know, I regret taking Fultz because I don't think any of us are gonna make that kind of a proclamation after a couple of garbage summer league games. But any other guys that you, you, you saw that may have, you know, really been an interesting option for you at number three? Yeah. Um, not that this obviously would have been an option at number three, but I am, I, I am, I walked away from summer league saying, I'm really, really glad I wasn't in the camp that said Lonzo ball was overrated because he, I mean, you you don't want to overreact to like almost like a pickup type game style, because I feel like that's where he could really excel with, defenses that have no cohesiveness but man some of those passes were unbelievable like I, I was really really impressed with Lonzo you you, uh, you had Lonzo at number two right heading into the draft too as well okay definitely yeah um and then a couple of guys you know just around that area as well like I said I like the way Jonathan Isaac played um we've kind of forgotten about him because Orlando Summer League feels like a year ago but I, I just thought he he showed kind of exactly what you thought he would be as a prospect uh-huh. Um, Josh Jackson, I remain, I remain on, on the camp that's just lower, lower on him than most people. You know, he put up good numbers, but I think that when I watch him, I just think to myself, what is impressive about the way this guy scores? It's, it's so much, you know, floaters or just kind of like the, you know, miscellaneous plays. He, I don't, I don't like trust him to be a, a huge, have a huge role in an NBA offense. Um, and then another guy who I not to keep saying these guys are you know overrated or anything like that, but one of the guys that everyone was just enamored by was Jason Tatum, and I just simply was not. Um, if you, I, I pull up his stats from summer league, he shot eight of thirty one from mid range and six of twenty nine on pull ups. Now look, that's a ridiculously small sample size, but that was what everybody walked away from his performance saying, you know, oh look, look the Kobe shots, like stuff like that, and and it's just. They're brutally, brutally inefficient, and they're just not going to be a part of Brad Stevens' offense. So, and he, he did shoot the ball well from three, and his motion definitely looks more replicable than it was in college. But I'm not. I'm definitely not in the camp that's going to overreact to Jason Tatum's performance in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, he shot the ball well from three, but he, I think he only took, uh, you know, a couple three pointers mm-hmm. in Vegas. So he was, like you said, it was mostly mostly mid range type pull up stuff. Um, I mean, he played well. But like always, I think he played well on a a 
style that necessarily wouldn't have fit well here in Philadelphia. So I don't, I don't have, you know, I, I, I had a, I had somebody tweet at me after his first summer league game and say, oh, you can't take any away from summer league, but it looks like Danny Ainge made the right decision. Well, <laughs> those two statements or those, those two parts of that one statement directly contradict each other. You know, I don't want to say I'm certainly not regretting the Fultz trade, I guess is what I would say in regards to Jason Tatum. I do not share Danny's assessment that he is the best prospect in the draft. No. Um, but we'll see. It'll be fun to debate. You know, hopefully a Sixers-Celtics rivalry will be a, a strong one for years to come, and we can have that debate. I'm confident in our standing on that debate going forward, though. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, all right. A- anything else you really think should be brought up? No, I mean, I guess just in terms of, like, summer league takes in general, it's just just to remind everybody overall to just kind of, like, keep them simmered down a little bit. They tell you a little bit of something – they're NBA, you know, I think most of summer league players are NBA level athletes, but they're not always of NBA level skill. And so it's just, t- it's so tough to evaluate that stuff. Like Dennis Smith is a guy that everybody's freaking out about, but Dennis Smith looks great in pickup style games. So it's, it's, it's just so hard to like take anything from this. I saw a great outside the line segment where they read some stats from players who turned out to be busts in years past, like Adam Morrison averaged 22 points a game in summer league and, you know, there, somebody was tossing an article around Twitter the other day where uh, one of the writers just absolutely, just brutally, um, just like tore down Kevin Durant uh, during his summer league and just said he, he'll never amount to anything in the NBA. It was, <laughs> it was, it was hysterical. So definitely holster the uh, the hot take cannons for summer league. Yeah, well, well, those hot takes were there after his rookie season too. Yeah, that's uh, which, true. Which again is is probably a, a a good word of caution about judging nineteen year olds playing against NBA competition. Like you said, you tend to have more NBA level athletes in summer league than you do NBA level skill, and I think defense tends to trend a little higher in summer league, despite the fact that they don't know each other and know what they're doing. Just the sheer athleticism and tools are maybe on display a little easier to display than high skill level guys. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen a lot of, of young kids come in and struggle. Certainly, I don't think Fultz was necessarily struggling when he played. We didn't get to see him a whole lot. But uh, he was, you know, he, he had a good summer. I think he was second in Utah in scoring. Uh, and that was really the only league he played in. He played well. Um, it is, uh, you know, frankly, I think a lot of the rookies this year played well, though, too. It was a, it, it's, I really think it's going to be a good rookie class. Yeah. And I think the Sixers got the best rookie of that group, so. I think you should feel good about the future of the team, assuming feet stay on. Um, I agree. Knock on wood, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think it's probably a good place to jump off. Keep this short and sweet. It is a summer podcast. Thank you once again, Mike, for jumping on here in a pinch. We'll be sure to have you on in the future, and uh, best of luck. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 